Thank you. So last night we talked a little bit about the discussion of science and religion. And when I think of science, I think of technology. And we have evidence right here that it doesn't always work because uh, there are technical difficulties that crop up. Uh, last night, with the general presentation comparing, contrasting different scientific worldviews, I asked us to think about atheistic science versus true science based on the biblical foundation. And I think this can apply to all of our fields, not just science. But today, I'd like to share a little bit of a personal testimony. So I'd have to say that the word my here is underlined because it's why science doesn't weaken my faith. Each of us has our own story. And I could put a subtitle on this, Confessions of a Former Agnostic. So I'll give you a little bit of why today science doesn't weaken my faith. So when I was young, I knew all the answers. I guess that's not too unusual for our young people. Uh, I knew exactly what I believed and why I believed it. For me, it was proof texts. Everything's based on the Bible, and I have the reason for my faith. And I don't, I don't apologize for that. I think it was good that I had done the Bible studies. I was maybe a little too confident. But I did feel that my faith was grounded. I had proof texts for each step, and I could do the speed drills, that we called them sword drills in junior Sabbath school, uh, finding the text in the Bible. Uh, so I, I knew the doctrines. I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. And I actually sort of enjoyed the argument and having the feeling uh, we have the truth. My grandfather was a scientist, and I grew up uh, in the home with... Uh, I felt that I was exposed to a lot of different ideas, my grandfather loved to invite people home and have arguments. And again, the proof texts, having a reason for your belief. So uh, there might be visiting Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or other faith traditions, and Grandpa would argue with them. So it wasn't maybe the best way to witness, looking back. But I knew what I believed about God, about the Sabbath, about the state of the dead, etc. All based on God's word. But when I was 11, we moved to India. And I had new friends. My parents entered the mission service, and I was surrounded by, well, there weren't any Adventists at all. There were some Christians at the institution where my father was uh, teaching medicine in South India. But all of my new friends were Hindus or Christians of a different faith tradition or some Muslims. And these people didn't necessarily base their worldview on the same scripture that I did. And so if I prove my faith from the Bible, uh, one of my friends says, well, why don't you use the Bhagavad Gita? Or why don't you use the Quran? So... I began asking myself again, why do I believe what I believe? 
Because if I can't even have the discussion, then uh, it, it causes me to maybe doubt my position, doubt my faith. Am I a Seventh-day Adventist Christian only because my parents were? Because I was born into a Christian family? Well, those are important questions. And I wanted some sort of proof. Eventually, I did read other holy books, books that other faiths considered holy. And this sort of attitude continued in high school. As I was beginning to study science, I realized I really enjoyed uh, these certain classes. It was a thrill to me to understand the principles, but again, I wanted proof. I wanted a solid foundation. And in studying science, I realized that um, I enjoyed knowing for certain. The universe seemed dependable. It seemed we could rely on it. Nate, the laws of nature always work the same way. This was truth. This is how it works. Things always work this way. Two plus two is always four. Always has been, always will be. You can rely on it. And I devoured books that explained things. But I began to notice, the more I studied, and these explanations didn't, didn't refer to God, I learned more and more explanations, but it was a godless worldview. That is to say, it was a worldview that did not mention God. I went to graduate school. In my first year of graduate school in the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, I was working harder than I'd ever worked before. Uh, I was a very small fish in a very big pond. I was surrounded by professors and other students, colleagues who were very intelligent, most of them probably a lot smarter than I was, and these people didn't seem to need God in their view of the world. I wasn't immediately affected by this because I had had many discussions with people who believed differently. But little by little, I began asking myself, all these very smart people have explanations for the world, and their explanations don't include God. Even the professors who were church members, their religion seemed to be only weekend religion. In church, they talked about religious things. In the classroom, God was never mentioned. There was no, uh, the worldview was godless. Spiritual questions were off limits. It was a personal thing, maybe, not allowed to intrude. So, uh, in fact, we had uh, required seminars uh, every week, and I began to see that the Big Bang model explained the universe very well. In fact, amazingly well. We see uh, the universe around us, and this explanation seems to work. And so I began to have doubts. Is my faith only wishful thinking? I showed you a few cartoons uh, comparing science and religion, at least from the viewpoint of the scoffer last night. Here's another. The scientific method 
here are the facts. What conclusions can we draw from them? Or the creationist method, according to some unbelievers, here's the conclusion, what facts can we find to support it? Well, this isn't the way that we actually do creation science, but this is the mindset of those who don't believe, who look at our faith and see you're just trying to support your view without impartially considering the evidence. Science is impartial and so somehow more trustworthy. This attitude began to affect me little by little. Science explains so much and it's so logical. And I asked myself, was I being intellectually honest to continue to believe in God? Was the Christian view illogical? This cartoon ridicules it. It was a crisis of faith in my life. And it went on for several years. I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't, I didn't stop going to church, but I stopped believing. I didn't go as far as becoming an atheist. I, an atheist, of course, believes that God does not exist. This is a, a belief in the non-existence of God. We are theists. We believe in God. Atheists actively believe no God. An agnostic, which is what I began to consider myself, isn't sure. So, I don't know. There's not enough evidence to decide, maybe. And this is the position that I was in. Through, uh, I guess, about three years, I considered myself agnostic. I had these mental struggles, and I solved it by, in church, I would take part in the discussion, I would uh, contribute to the Sabbath school discussion, I'd teach the lesson sometimes, I'd say amen, but it was disconnected from the rest of my life. I became like my own professors, who, if they went to church, it was not part of their day-to-day -day life. So during, during the week, I had my real life. My real life didn't involve God. And although I didn't actively disbelieve, I certainly no longer believed. And after all, science explains everything, right? So what do we need for God? What do we need, how do we need the supernatural if we have our own explanations that work so well? This was the position that I had. Here's one more little cartoon. Uh, two mathematicians talking, we have this proof, and the one mathematician says, pointing at the step in the middle, then a miracle occurs. And the one man says to the other, I think you should be more explicit here in step two. Which, of course, is kind of a joke. But the view that religion is not carefully based step by step. You have to take a leap of faith which is irrational, unreasonable, whereas science would be reasonable. This also illustrates the God of the gaps problem. God of the gaps, this is the idea which says um, there are supernatural events perhaps in the world. I don't understand everything I see, but maybe next year I'll understand. So the gap has gotten smaller.
So maybe there is a scientific explanation which we'll understand later. And it, I would tell you this is a statement of faith, that I have such faith in science that next year I will understand or someone will discover the answer, but there is no need for God. Even with a gap, there will be an answer, and that, as I said, is a statement of faith. Some supporters of science would say the gaps will all eventually close, we will, all, we will understand everything, and there will be no need for God take God out of the equation. So this was my mindset, and some of the mental anguish was because I was living a lie. In church, I acted like a Christian, and the rest of the week, I acted like there's no God. So I felt that I was being dishonest at least with myself. So one day I had a sudden idea, a sudden thought, and I think God reminded me. It was not, it did not come from uh, a memory bubbling back up to the surface. I think God put that little push uh, to cause me to remember. I had this thought. I thought back to my days at what was then Southern Missionary College. I took a class. I learned a lot at Southern, a lot of material, a lot of solid content. I had a good preparation for graduate school. But I also took a class, a specific class, where we focused on thinking, thinking about the implications. What does it all mean? And that class was taught by Dr. Ray Hepperlin, a longtime chair of the physics department and a mentor for many of us. This was the class, Issues in Physical Science and Religion. And it's in fact the class that I, that I have the privilege of teaching now. In the class that I took, of course, every teacher puts his own imprint on the class. So the class I took is not the same class that I teach. But in that class, we had a, book of a list of suggested books to read. And I thought back, there was one author that had been mentioned, this was Francis Schaeffer. I alluded to him last night. Francis Schaeffer has sometimes been called the apostle to the intelligentsia. Let me explain this word. I don't mean intelligentsia in the sense of the very smart people. What I mean is the people who think they're smart. <laughs> the people who are so convinced of their point of view, they're too well educated to believe in God anymore too well-educated to believe in those old-fashioned ideas. And Francis Schaeffer had a deep burden to reach these people. It's an amazing story if you do a little research. The first book I ever read by Francis, uh, by uh, Schaeffer was actually by Mrs. Schaeffer, Edith, and talking about their faith ministry and how God led and many miracles occurred and they had a, a chalet in a village, remote place in Switzerland, and people would come and just live with them, help with the garden, help out with chores, and just stay as long as they wanted and have deep discussions. Francis Schaeffer was trying to reach the secular mind, the secular human, 
and point out God is still the answer. Well, it, it came back to me that um, although I'd had difficulty, it was not easy reading Schaefer, <laughs> I found him quite difficult, but I did remember that he claimed that believing in God makes sense. The Christian worldview ultimately makes more sense than the secular humanistic worldview. And so I, I had this thought. I don't really remember the arguments. I don't remember the book, but I should go back and read. And I decided before I completely decide, okay, I can't halt between two decision, between two positions, uh, between God and the secular view of what I considered the scientific view anymore. I would have to, I, I was talking to God, even though I didn't, wasn't sure God existed, I said, okay, I will go back and I will read everything I can find by this author who says Christianity makes sense, even in today's world. And this is the reason that I'm back. This is the reason I'm a Christian today. So I read all the books by Francis Schaeffer I could find. There was uh, He is There and He is Not Silent, that is a cogent, concise explanation of this worldview, uh, and other books, including Schaeffer's own conversion story. And then later I read many books by a famous Christian philosopher and uh, apologist, an evangelist to the secular world, C.S. Lewis. For instance, Mere Christianity. I recommend this to all my students. Christianity makes sense. So reading and thinking deeply, uh, in the case of C.S. Lewis, he, he, re, he came back to Christianity because it made more sense than the alternatives. And I am a Seventh-day Adventist now, because not because my parents were, but because this church is the only one I know that tries to consistently apply the biblical principles, the biblical worldview, the whole plan of salvation. Uh, without the whole picture, Christ's life, death, resurrection, soon return, our relationship with the Lord, uh, the relationship between God's law and grace, all these things in the light of the great controversy, this makes sense. This is a consistent view. And I became convinced that materialistic science is flawed. It does not give a consistent picture. So I'm back. I'm a Christian. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. While still uh, teaching and practicing science, but from a different point of view. Now, as we saw last night, true science based on the biblical foundation. So, having an explanation of how the world works really doesn't mean we don't need God. In fact, it requires God that there is any sense in the world. The biblical worldview is the most logical explanation for what we see around us. Materialism doesn't explain anything. It doesn't explain why there is anything. And no longer do I think just because you're educated, you will educate yourself out of belief. 
But I do say there is still some danger in education that is not permeated with the Christian worldview can be very dangerous. And so I would encourage us all uh, not to avoid science, but to introduce true science. Science based on understanding that we are studying the, wor the works of the Creator. God's works alongside God's Word. His two books. So education does not mean automatic unbelief. And I tell my colleagues who are scientists, religion doesn't equate to ignorance. This is an alternative choice worldview. You've chosen not to believe. I choose to believe the consistency, the unity in nature points to God. And science does not disprove religion. Science, we saw last night, was, is based, modern science is based on the Christian worldview. So it's really quite ironic that people use science now to try to disprove, or they think it disproves religion, disproves Christianity. It's not so. Just a couple of summary points from, from last night. Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity was needed for the beginning of modern science. Eric Snow said, Christianity was absolutely necessary for the rise of modern science. Nancy Percy says, the rise of modern science cannot be explained apart from the Christian view of nature. This helps me no longer have any tendency to say, if I'm practicing science, then maybe I shouldn't believe. No, I should believe. This is, this is actually support for our worldview. And uh, just uh, we also looked at some quotes from scientific pioneers who practiced science according to what I would say is would be the principles of true science. We are studying God's works. We are worshiping Him, honoring Him as uh, looking at His creation. We could have included many more. But God is eternal, changeless. We do not have a squabbling pantheon of gods. He is a God of order. And uh, if you want to go back and look at some of those quotes, we have the links to all those in the, in the materials for this conference. So I would ask you, how can science shake my faith in God when actually science may owe its existence to the Christian worldview. When great scientists through the past saw their study as honoring God, and when ultimately naturalism, materialism, doesn't explain how anything can be there. Even if you say, oh, matter may have always existed, that's, that's the alternative. Either God exists and he made it, or the atheist would say, trying to refuse God, would say, well, it's always been this way. That's the doctrine of uniformitarianism. Everything has always been. But what about the laws of nature? Why does it even work this way? It still shows design. And so there are more astronomers who believe than uh, than there are biologists, because they're faced with the immensity of the universe and see God's design. Materialism doesn't give an answer.
in the course of uh, studying more about reason, why do I think that logical thinking is the answer? And in my class now, we, we, uh, we've just finished talking about the limitations of reason. Logic and reason are incomplete. There are two forms of, two main branches of reasoning, logical thinking. One is induction, one is deduction. Deduction is the sort of proof thing. So I have some facts, I put them together, I prove things from them. Induction is deducing things from patterns. So we have uh, different, we observe the universe, we observe how things work, and then we understand a general rule, the pattern. And that is how science works. So we have either proof or pattern, and both of those forms of thinking have limitations. There are problems with induction. Generalizations cannot be proven ever, no matter how many times I repeat the test. It just means it happened this time. It does not mean it will always happen. I could have misunderstood. It, it's, I tell my class, this wasn't uh, stamped with God's seal of approval. It's a theory. It's an explanation, but it's not proven. It's not uh, written on the back of the tables of stone on the Ten Commandments. Our data is always taken from a limited subset. Just one quick illustration. And this is one I was, uh, I actually came up with on my own, not from reading. I was kind of happy with it. Uh, as I told you, when we, when our family moved to India, I was, I was young. I was 11. And so for the first 10, 11 years of my life, I had only seen black crows. Now, some of you have lived in other countries, and you may be aware not all crows are black. But for 10 years, that seems like a pretty long time, every crow I ever saw was black. I could be justified in thinking all crows are black. Here's a black crow. Here's a black crow. Thousands of examples. Can't I trust it now? Don't I see the pattern? This is how science works. We see examples and then we make a rule. We make a general rule. This is a law of nature. All crows are black. We moved to India. I was 11 and suddenly I saw a crow that wasn't black. Now the, the ornithologists would probably tell us Oh, that's not quite the same species. Maybe it uh, has a different Latin name. But it's what they call a crow, and it's not black. It's gray and black. And then I told the story in Ukraine when we were uh, on sabbatical, and I was teaching at the Adventist campus outside of Kiev. And they said, oh, yeah, we have that kind of crow, too. I showed them a picture. They said, yeah, uh, well, after class, we'll show you. We have those crows. But we have black crows also. So they have both kinds. Uh, I found that very interesting. So my students took me and, let's go find a, a crow that's not black. <laughs> yeah, so this is just an illustration. You cannot rely on your limited knowledge. Our knowledge, praise the Lord, we can understand anything at all. But it is not complete. And Tomorrow, I may see a crow that's not black. Now, just one more side note on this story. Years later, I read uh, in a famous 
works of a famous Christian philosopher. If you see one white crow, you have disproved the generalization that all crows are black. Now, I promised you, I had never read that before. I thought I invented something new, but I guess there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> but as an illustration, I find this, this helps me to see the limitations of our thinking. So there are problems with induction. There are also problems with the other kind of thinking, proof. There are problems with deduction. You must start somewhere. You start with axioms in mathematics. So in geometry class, we have some givens, right? Given this and this, given a triangle, da 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 da, prove something. Deduction always works this way. You prove stuff starting somewhere. So it's not really a problem, but it is a limitation. I can't reach truth from logic. I must have some truth before I start. So no deductive system, and that includes my own thinking, no deductive system can prove its own starting assumptions. And so this leaves me with a little bit of a problem. I can't prove what is true, at least not by logic. It requires faith. It requires faith at a very fundamental level, a starting point. So induction doesn't provide proof. Deduction, we have to start with some truth. And so our thinking does have these limitations. So we might ask, is it all fair game? Just a game, what I, what I will choose as truth, and then prove things based on my own choice. This is the path of relativism. And today we live in a relativistic uh, milieu, a worldview. We're surrounded by people who don't see truth the way we do. Francis Schaeffer used the expression true truth because the word truth has been modified and, and denigrated. It's been dropped down to a level where, oh, what's true for you, that's not true for me. And we, we have to face this in talking with the unchurched, with the, with the secular, uh, our friends around us, people we come in contact with. So is truth just a game, your choice? This is how math is done today, I have to tell you. You choose your axioms and then you go as far as you can go. It's arbitrary. It's not true. But there are true things. If I step off the edge of a uh, one of these hills off a cliff face, I will fall. It's not, uh, I may fall today, I may not fall tomorrow. There's, there are true things. We cannot really live in a worldview of relativism. This is not possible. So I'd say this is a dead end. Relativism is a dead end. So let's look at the bottom line. Logic requires faith. You cannot put your faith in logic alone. You need faith to even think. And so there is a, an element of faith. So even if someone says, I don't believe, we can tell them, you do have faith. You have chosen to have faith in this logical process. But here, it's not complete. It cannot prove everything. There are truths 
which you cannot prove. I think that's important as we have the discussion. And this is one thing that helps me no longer be swayed and uh, say, well, science could shake my faith. It can't. We can now actually prove that some true statements cannot be proven. Truth is not the same as proof, which is a fun, a fun idea. This has been known to, by mathematicians since 1931 when Gödel came up with his famous uh, incompleteness theorems. Logic can prove that logic has limits. That's just fun to say. So if you say, no, I, I base everything on reason alone, and some of my colleagues in science think that they are doing that, it's not true. Logic has limits. So logic, even though it has limits, is very useful. In order to be most useful, I need to be aware of the limits. I encouraged us all last night to be aware of our assumptions. Where are we starting? Where do we start our conversation? But we also need to be aware of the limits of our own thinking process. This is why when we open God's word and when we look at God's, the book of God's works around us, we need to be completely steeped in prayer. We may misunderstand. We have an enemy who is trying, actively trying to deceive us. This is part of the whole great controversy. It's not just my own thinking is free to do and prove things, but I, I run the risk of being deceived. Faith is essential. Reason is not enough. So we are left with see where this worldview leads. If I subscribe to a worldview as I was tempted to that leaves God out, where will that lead me? If I start with the Christian, the biblical worldview, where does that lead me? And this is actually not at all a new idea, of course. We have this from the words of the Master himself. Uh, quoted in Matthew 7. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Every good tree bears good fruit. Bad, a bad tree bears bad fruit. So we can tell. If this set of assumptions, if this worldview, this is the way I, I base my life, leads me to garbage, then I need to re-examine where I came from. You will know them by their fruits. And the biblical worldview, especially uh, in the light of the great controversy, when we see there's not just good in the world, there's also an evil influence actively working against us. This, for me, spells the downfall of materialism. I can no longer be tempted by this view of the world. In an atheistic, materialistic universe, everything would be determined, or with quantum physics, we'd say maybe it's random. There's, there's probabilistic. Uh, but everything is, there's no free will. My thoughts are programmed, let's say. It's just the electrical currents, uh, chemical reactions in my brain. It has no meaning. It has no connection to what's out there. So if I think 
a certain way, that thought could be meaningless or would be meaningless in, in the worldview of materialism. I don't know how, well, I do know how. You can be a materialist if you don't go deep enough and see the implications. We have to take the Lord's advice or his command. You will know them by their fruits. So this atheistic science, it's self-contradictory. It's a paradox to consider that this could be a foundational view of the world. I see materialism, atheism, is the sob in the hand there. Uh, if we use it to build our science this way, and this is a kind of fun thing, which I don't think it's going to show on the screen, but on my screen, when I push the button, the tree limb falls. Yeah. Imagine it. It's kind of fun. So he's up there on the branch sawing and uh, he, separating himself, separating science from its own roots, from its foundation. It falls. This is the downfall of, of materialism. And uh, science cannot really cannot support this. Atheistic materialism itself is not the result of science. It's an attempt to impose a secular worldview on science. It separates science from its roots. It removes any justification for our belief that science should work. If I don't believe that God created it and he created me able to understand it, then I don't have any reason to think that I should be able to understand. I should have no expectation that the universe is ordered. I should have no expectation that the universe makes sense. I should have no expectation that humans could understand what we see. And I should have no expectation that any thought could be called truth. It's a pretty sad point of view. That tree branch just falls. So back to my own story. Why did I have this period of doubt where I thought the explanations of science were good enough? After I studied for myself, I saw that the believing in God is actually very logical. Logic has limits, but logic can lead me towards truth. So I began to see that my previous doubt was, was really just peer pressure. I was surrounded by unbelievers, and I wasn't adequately prepared. I would encourage each of us, as we work with young people, to make sure that they are prepared, that they see, not just in science, but each field, they see the biblical foundations. This is so, so important. We cannot... We cannot leave the youth to their own devices. We need to show the foundation of every study, every field, is, uh, is our biblical worldview, which uh, it makes everything make sense. So I'm no longer at risk, and I would hope that we could inoculate 
those around us in the same way, that we could show them this, the natural path that you are on uh, in the secular worldview will take you to meaninglessness. Let me just quote with the, uh, end with these words from Ellen White in Steps to Christ. God desires man to exercise his reasoning powers. The study of the Bible will strengthen and elevate the mind as no other study can. Yet, we are to beware of deifying reason, which is subject to the weakness and infirmity of humanity. And uh, in, the same, in the same chapter, she says, to all eternity, men may be ever searching, ever learning, and yet never exhaust the treasures of his wisdom, his goodness, and his power. That is how I see the delights of heaven, the new earth, throughout eternity. Searching, learning, studying, getting deeper into God's creation, understanding the beauties of nature and how things fit together. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.